Hello, hello everyone, and welcome back to yet another episode of Sleepless with Charlie, an ASMR-style horror podcast where I delve into the darkest, most mysterious, most twisted corners of the internet, mostly Reddit, and I read aloud soft-spoken renditions of horror stories to help you sleep. This podcast is available on YouTube if you prefer a more visual experience. You can see my Kirby hat, you can see my cats in the thumbnail of this episode. Or if you'd rather just close your eyes and drift away, this podcast is also available on Spotify, Google Podcasts, iTunes, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Either way, welcome, happy to see you here. Quick announcement and little self-plug, I have started a Patreon for my ASMR-style content, This is mostly aimed at YouTube listeners, however, I will be having exclusive benefits for this podcast as well, including all episodes one day early, and maybe in the future even bonus stories, fun things like that. So if you're interested, I'm at Charlie Moo ASMR, all one word. Once again, that is Charlie Moo ASMR on Patreon, and I'll also put the link in the description. Thanks guys. Today's episode is called Beasts. Stories having to do with kind of creaturey, non-human, feral-type entities, like my cat in the thumbnail. <laughs> if you can't tell, we're going kind of loose with theming in these podcast episodes, but this is all about having fun, so that's okay. I've got three stories for you today. The first two are a little bit creepier, a little bit more traditionally scary. The last story is pretty unsettling, but it's also kind of goofy, and you'll see what I mean when I read you guys the title. (laughs) But first, we have a story from Beardify, who I believe we have heard on this podcast before. He's a very prolific no-sleeper, no-sleepian, however you'd say it. This story was posted a little under a month ago on r slash no-sleep with 2.6k upvotes, which, I'll be honest, seems a little bit low for the quality of this one. This one's pretty creepy, and I'll be honest, when I was reading it, it got me a little. So snuggle in, pull the covers up, and let's dive into our first story called Someone is Eating My Neighbors. I know how it sounds, but there's no gentler way to put it. Something is eating my neighbors. I first noticed it last Tuesday morning, when I looked out the window and I saw that Louise, the old man in the apartment across the street, wasn't out on his balcony by 7 a.m., Waving to that bald figure with his fluffy bathrobe, coffee cup, and newspaper had become a part of my morning routine, and his absence bothered me more than I would have imagined. It was as though, without me noticing, some subtle and sinister change had taken place in my world, throwing it into a disquieting new orbit. The apartment two stories above Louise's had also gone dark. Two kids lived there, and they were always up to something sticking their drawings to the window, jumping on the beds, or singing into child-sized plastic karaoke machines. Now, however, there was nothing but blackness in their rooms, and an ominous breeze seemed to blow through their white curtains. Even when it rained on Wednesday and Thursday, no one bothered to close the windows. Worse still, when I rang Louise to check on him, with no answer, of course, I saw that his mailbox was stuffed full of mail and newspapers. Louise was so meticulous, I could have set my watch by him. There was no way he would have left without putting a hold on his precious daily news. 
Even so, I didn't really start to worry until the noise upstairs came to a sudden stop. The 20-something couple in that unit had a very active lifestyle, getting up early, working out in the middle of the day, and hosting parties late into the night. From the sound of it, they also had a very healthy relationship. Lately, however, there's been nothing but silence. If I hadn't started working remotely, I doubt I would have paid attention to any of this. But now that I'm trapped in my apartment all the time, these little differences become all the more clear. They make me remember things. Things that at the moment didn't seem important. And also things I'd prefer to forget. There are a lot of apartment buildings on this street. Some old, some new, without even alleys to divide them. Looking out the window, it's clear how easy it would be to move from one building to another. There are rooftops, sewers, and even empty gaps beneath the buildings. When I had the bathroom redone, the back wall had to be removed. A middle-aged plumber on his smoke break pointed through the gaping hole in tile wall. The circle of pink insulation around it made the black pit in my wall look like a toothless mouth. Inside was a three-foot gap filled with a tangle of pipes and dusty spiderwebs. I once pulled a rat as big as my arm out of a space like that. The plumber exhaled a cloud of smoke. Another time, we found a bedroll, a bottle of piss, and dirty tissues on the other side of someone's wall. That's the thing about these gaps between buildings. Anyone, or anything, can live there. And there's no way to know until it's too late. At the time, I thought the about-to-retire plumber, him, was just having a laugh at the expense of the remote-working yuppie, me, who couldn't stick two pipes together to save his life. But as more and more apartments around me fell into a dark, dead silence, I wasn't so sure. They couldn't all be on vacation. I used to enjoy taking showers at night, but lately I've found myself pressing my ear to the wet tile wall, listening for sounds behind the wall or inside the pipes. And when I dream, my dreams are of falling through that tight, lightless space between the walls. Millions of people live in this city, all strangers to one another. And if one person, or even an entire family, went missing, how long would it take anyone to notice? If several went missing all at once, how long would it take the underfunded, overworked authorities to recognize a pattern? Weeks? Months? Even longer? Three nights ago, I woke up to a sudden crash from below. My eyes snapped open. I lay in the darkness, heart thundering and paralyzed with fright as something heavy was dragged across the floor of the apartment beneath mine. I finally mustered the courage to get out of bed and investigate, but by then it was too late. Standing in front of my neighbor's bare wooden door, I realized how alone and unarmed I truly was. Annie, I whispered my downstairs neighbor's name, but there was no response. A few hours later, after the sun came up this time, I tried again. I was about to give up when I remembered that I'd watered Annie's plants for a month while she was on vacation. She'd told me to keep the spare key. It was probably still in my kitchen drawer. I knocked, rang, and made every other sound I could think of before entering her apartment. I knew full well that what I was doing was probably illegal, and definitely an invasion of privacy. Annie's apartment smelled faintly of marijuana and mint oil, just as I remembered but I couldn't shake the feeling that there was another odor hiding under all those familiar scents. Something foul and reptilian. 
The blinds were drawn, and flies buzzed around a half-eaten bowl of soup on the kitchen table. A knocked-over chair lay on the floor beside it. Annie? I tried again. My neighbor's jackets and shoes were all in their places. Water dripped from the washcloth in her shower. It was like she had never left the apartment, and yet... My eyes were drawn to the large ventilation shaft in the bathroom wall. To my anxious mind, it looked like an empty eye socket, perhaps with something nameless staring out at me from the other side. The wall below it was discolored somehow. I tiptoed closer through the gloomy apartment and reached out to touch it. The wall was slick with a slimy substance that emitted the same strange odor. The floor creaked behind me. Um, what the hell do you think you're doing? A woman who looked like a younger version of Annie stood in the doorway, her mouth open in shock. Annie's sister, Ellen. She was already dialing the cops. I looked down at the flashlight in my left hand and the hammer in my right. I can explain, I pleaded. I was just looking for Annie. I heard a weird noise last night, and then when she didn't answer the door, I thought... But my voice trailed off. Ellen glared at me skeptically with her thumb frozen above the call button. With one hand on her hip, she slowly lowered her phone. You touch anything? Ellen asked. What? No, I just... Good, I was supposed to meet Annie for lunch, but she never showed. And my sister would die before she missed an appointment. I hoped not, but given the circumstances, I kept my mouth shut. Ellen opened the blinds and rummaged through her sister's things while I did my best to describe what I heard. I don't get it, Ellen frowned. Her wallet, phone, keys, they're all here. Unless Annie walked out of here in her PJs, she should be around here somewhere. But there was no sign of Annie. Not under the bed, not on the balcony. She was just... gone. After an awkward mid-hallway handshake, Ellen and I parted ways. I still wasn't sure if she planned to go to the police, and if so, I didn't dare to share my theory with her but that weird mucus was still thick on my fingers. After a fitful nap, I decided to ask the older couple across from me if they'd seen or heard anything strange. As I crossed the corridor, however, a horrible thought struck me. What if they didn't answer? What if I was the last one left, alone in the building, with whatever had taken Annie? The two minutes between my knock and Marie Puig opening her door felt eternal. I dragged myself out of paranoid thoughts and tried to smile. I told Mrs. Pewig that I'd heard some disturbing things lately and asked if we could speak somewhere private. She motioned me inside to put a kettle on. Her husband had gone out, but would be back shortly. In Mrs. Pewig's apartment, not a hair was out of place. A loud game show boomed from the television, and the air smelled of lemon cleaner and fresh cookies. My own half-baked theory was starting to feel very crazy indeed. I stammered through a short version of Annie's disappearance and asked if Marie Puig had noticed anything unusual lately. Not since I let my hearing aid go, Mrs. Puig laughed. You'll have to forgive me, but I can barely hear anything at all. I've got an appointment to get a new one next week. Things just aren't made like they used to be. When was the last time you saw Annie? Yesterday night. She was arguing with some man on the phone, Mrs. Pewig leaned in close. In situations like this, it's always the boyfriend, trust me. Disappointed, I returned to my apartment and tried to lose myself in the mountain of unanswered emails and incomplete tasks that awaited me. 
The sun had set by the time I finally logged off, exhausted. I was on my way to the shower when I looked up and realized, for the first time, that all the units in my building had the same oversized ventilation shaft. I reached out my hand to touch the wall below it, and when I took my fingers away, they were coated in a familiar smelling slime. I went to the gym to shower. I couldn't stomach being naked and alone with whatever might be on the other side of my wall. On my way home, I found Mrs. Pewick, well-dressed as always, being helped into a waiting taxi cab. She waved me over. I meant to tell you, she practically shouted into my ear. My husband never came back from his walk this morning. The police are combing the park for him and everything. I'm going to stay with my son until things get settled down. Just thought you ought to know. With that, she was gone. A clammy, lonely sensation crept up my spine as I returned to my apartment. I couldn't shake the feeling that maybe I ought to do the same thing. Rent a hotel room someplace, wait for this all to just blow over. But I'd have to come back eventually. And what if whatever was between the walls was still hungry when I did? Even though it was after 10pm, I grabbed my trusty hammer and used plywood to board up every vent, every window, every other access point to my apartment that I could think of. I didn't have to worry about noise complaints. I probably didn't have any neighbors left to disturb. Uncounted hours later, I woke up in the pitch blackness of my sealed up apartment. My home was as dark as a dream I'd been having, another nightmare of dusty insulation and tangled pipes. A pounding sound was coming from somewhere inside my apartment. Three methodical taps, one after the other. It was no random noise. Something was trying to get in. I grabbed my flashlight, but its batteries must have died after my excursion into Annie's unit. Lost in my own apartment and unable to find a light switch, I bounced off of the furniture that seemed to have moved during the night until I finally glimpsed a glow up ahead. The hallway. That's where the pounding was coming from. Daylight blinded me as I flung open my front door. A slender Asian man in a black suit and tie stood before me. Lucas Williams? he asked. I nodded, shielding my eyes from the painful brightness. I'm Agent Wei. I'm investigating some dangerous, unusual occurrences in your neighborhood. And I believe that you might be able to help me. Can I step inside? I let out a deep sigh of relief. The cavalry was here. The authorities had finally figured out what was going on, and they were going to take care of it. In retrospect, I probably should have looked more closely at Agent Wei's badge. I should have asked him for a warrant or spoken to him outside. But at the time, I was so thrilled to find out that I wasn't crazy that I welcomed the young man with open arms. I flicked on the lights, embarrassed by the boarded-up, chaotic mess of my apartment. Agent Wei, however, seemed to take it in stride. As I'm sure you've noticed, Lucas, there have been a number of disappearances in this area. I nodded vigorously. As part of our investigation, we're asking the residents of these buildings on these streets to permit us to temporarily install motion-activated cameras in their apartment. These cameras will alert us to the presence of any intruder in your unit and allow us to respond immediately. I frowned. This was unexpected. I wanted to help, but still... Cameras? Watching me all the time? Please, Lucas, help us help you. Of course, in the end, I agreed. With his slick black suit and sidearm 
Agent Way seemed trustworthy, and besides, what choice did I have if I wanted my life to go back to normal? After Agent Way installed his camera and left, however, I found something. Something I would have mentioned to him if I had noticed it sooner. The plywood I had used to cover the ventilation shaft lay on the floor. It had fallen or been pushed out of place. Although I should have known better, I replaced the batteries in my flashlight, mounted a stool, and stuck my head into the ventilation shaft. The dark, narrow space was about the size of my head, and it was difficult to look around. At first, I saw nothing but dust. But then I caught sight of the man-sized trail of slime that slithered off into the darkness. Shuddering, I replaced the plywood and doubled the amount of nails that I had hammered into it. For three days, I heard nothing from Agent Way. As far as I could tell, there was no new disappearances either. But on the third morning, I woke up once again to urgent pounding on my door. I was in such a hurry to answer it that I didn't notice the plywood covering the vent had once again fallen to the floor. Lucas Williams, Agent Way asked again, as if to confirm it was really me. We've discovered something you need to see. May we come in? This time, Agent Way wasn't alone. Two more men in black suits were behind him. A dark, spindly man he called Agent Glida, and a stocky, nervous woman who went by Agent Lopez. Agent Way seemed much more on edge than he had during his last visit. The others swept my apartment as we spoke. I started to protest, but then I remembered that the agents had already seen every corner of it anyway, by other cameras. I'm going to ask you to take a survey for me, Lucas. Agent Way sat me down at my work desk with a paper and pen. It's very important that you answer all of the questions honestly. Can you do that for me, Lucas? I had no idea what was going on, but I nodded. And after all, what was the harm in answering a few questions? While I was busy filling in bubbles and ticking boxes, Agent Glida and Lopez scanned my walls with strange instruments, collected samples, and set up a laptop in my kitchen table. Although I strained my ears to their limit, I wasn't able to eavesdrop on the hushed conversation between them. Besides, I was struggling with some of the questions. As I answered them, an unsettling pattern seemed to emerge, but I couldn't put my finger on exactly what it was. How long have you lived in this unit? When was the last time you ate? What is your earliest memory? Where is the last place you slept? Are you sure you want to do it here? Agent Lopez was hissing to Agent Way. It was all I heard of their conversation before Agent Way motioned me to sit in front of the laptop that was open in front of the kitchen table. He nodded through the answers to my survey questions, as though they confirmed something he'd long suspected. As he prepared to play a video on the screen, I was uncomfortably aware of the aggressive presence of Agents Goleida and Lopez behind me. Out of the corner of my eye, I could see that their hands rested on their weapons. I'm going to show you a video now, Lucas, Agent Way explained, and I warn you, what you're about to see may disturb you. Please try to remain calm. I didn't understand what I had to be disturbed about. After all, the image on the screen was me. It was a night vision recording of my bedroom, captured by cameras Agent Way had installed. He fast-forwarded through several hours of me sleeping, tossing and turning in bed, and then, in the recording, 
I watched my left leg suddenly stick out rigidly beneath the sheets. It seemed to extend somehow, followed by my right. My hands pawed at my bedroom wall as my arms and fingers stretched, almost doubling in length. I brought my hand to my mouth as I watched the me on the screen distend into something hideous and wrong and slither across the floor toward the bathroom ventilation shaft. I was still processing the nightmarish video when Agent Way brought up another clip. This was grainier footage from a security camera. It showed Marie Puig's husband, Javier, walking through a dark alley on the far side of our building. As he passed a sewer grate, a horrifically distended hand that I now recognized as my own shot up with tremendous force and grabbed his leg, dragging him down. I'd seen enough. I retched all over the floor but turned away from the puddle immediately, afraid of what or who I might see in it. We're aware that you're a special case, Agent Wei was saying, from what felt like very far away. And we know it's not your fault. For beings like you, this is part of a natural cycle that occurs every 30 years or so. We're going to get you the help you need, but there are crimes here that have to be answered for. Louis Dubois, Rachel Kellerson, and her two children, Tom and Roy, Javier Puig, Amy Martin, and several others. Wait, I held up a hand weakly. Annie Martin, that can't be right. I was in my apartment when she disappeared. I I heard her. I fell silent as a groaning noise echoed through the pipes above us. Fuck. Agent Lopez drew her pistol. What? Agent Goleta responded. That means there's two of them. From the darkness of the ventilation shaft in my bathroom, a pair of glowing eyes stared out at me and grinned. Whew, that was a good one. I know I personally have kind of a fascination with what you do while you're sleeping, you know, sleepwalking murders, that kind of thing. And just sleep talkers too. It just really fascinates me to see how people behave when they sleep. I know personally I've had some really interesting conversations that I do not remember because I was entirely unconscious. Ah, so I'm just glad I'm not turning into a creature and eating people. But now I want to know if he knows who the other creature is. Like, is that his neighbor? And why does the government know about these? Did they make it? Is this like a government conspiracy? I don't know. It's very interesting and I like it. Good job, Beardify. This next story was also posted on r slash no sleep by Cheb1337. That's C-H-B as in boy, 1337 who is a much smaller author I believe we have not heard from before. Uh, It was posted about two days ago, so very new. It only has 148 upvotes, so very much flew under the radar, but I thought it was pretty good. I might be biased, though, because this seems to take place right around where I live by the Great Lakes in upstate New York. Um, It mentioned something that sounds kind of like lake effect snow, which if you don't know what that is, Uh, It's this kind of weather pattern that's created by the Great Lakes nearby, where there's just these really thick bands of snow that come very quickly. And it's why we have these storms where we get like four feet of snow, like what happened before Thanksgiving. (laughs) And it's very low visibility. You cannot see what's happening. You really cannot drive in these storms. So it's very easy to imagine just being outside and seeing something like this in the snow. And it's creepy. Uh, Though you definitely don't want to drive in these kind of snowstorms if you can help it. But some people have shitty bosses that make them drive to their job. And isn't late-stage capitalism the real creepy thing going on here? (laughs) So without further ado, get nice and bundled up for this next story. 
It's called I Got Stuck in Traffic in a Blizzard, and I will never forget what I encountered. A loud honk sounded as the car in front of me came to a sudden stop. Something had dashed across the road. Something large. I slammed my foot down on the brakes and prayed the icy road wouldn't allow yet another fender bender. It was hard to make out any shapes through the thick veil of the blizzard's harrowing symphony, but I could tell that whatever had crossed the highway had done so with speed and precision. Maybe a moose, I thought to myself, paying no further mind to the matter. I reclined into my seat and turned up the volume on the radio. Frank Sinatra's I've Got You Under My Skin filled the cozy insides of my SUV, and I felt my heart rate steadily stabilize. It had been several hours since I left my hometown, and now I was surrounded by an endless expanse of white, as far as the eye could see. There should have been a forest on either side of the highway, but with the severely deteriorating weather conditions, it was impossible to make out anything further than six feet away. As I tapped my fingers on the steering wheel in perfect synchronization with the song, I grew more and more impatient. We had stood still for at least five minutes now, Surely there couldn't be this much traffic all the way out here. The song was nearly over, and we still hadn't moved. Behind me, I could hear a chorus of aggressive honking. There were at least six cars behind me, and as far as I could tell, probably six in front as well. Their headlights were the only indicator of their existence, as the snow had turned everything else invisible. Then, a grisly thought spread like wildfire throughout the crevices of my mind. Had there been an accident? I sat up in my seat and made an attempt to somehow peek above the top of the car but in front of me. It was futile. What is going on? I murmured under my breath as a loud sigh escaped my body. The howling winds outside violently slammed into the exterior of the car, killing any notions that I may have had about stepping out and investigating. For now, it was best I just waited it out. It would surely pass in a minute or two. I picked up my phone and started messing around with a few apps. I don't condone texting and driving, but considering we hadn't moved for a while, I'd wager a short social media session couldn't hurt anyone. And besides, it didn't look like I was going anywhere anytime soon. I even glanced over to the half-empty bottle of Jack Daniels that laid unassuming on the floorboard of the seat behind me but I decided against it for now. Prior to this traffic jam, I had been visiting my extended family for the holidays back in my hometown. Due to reasons we don't need to delve into, I was forced to leave earlier than I'd initially expected, which was fine by me as I couldn't stand another second of chatty family drama and that awful holiday cheer. Forgive me if I'm sparse with the details, but for privacy's sake, I won't disclose the name of the town I departed from nor where I am currently headed. All you need to know is that the road I was traveling on was located pretty far up in the northeastern region of the United States, and it was absolutely freezing. Some time passed, and the vehicles on the road hadn't moved an inch. It was as though they were rooted to the icy foundations below. Dauntingly, I observed as the car in front of me was in the process of getting devoured by the rapidly growing snowfall. Its tires were nearly completely engulfed, and I figured that it wouldn't be long until getting home in time to watch today's football game would be the least of my concerns. Then, growing in the distance, were sirens. 
I looked up from my phone and directed my gaze toward the side view mirror and saw a blinking blue light penetrate through the thicket of snow. The ambulance zoomed past me at breakneck speeds, and shortly after, a police car followed. This only reaffirmed my belief that something terribly wrong had occurred. I scrolled through my phone and continued as usual, though my digital endeavors would prove to be quite fruitless. The longer I used my phone, the worse the connection seemed to get. TikTok and YouTube videos began buffering, and other apps that required internet connectivity wouldn't even load. I'm by no means a physicist, tech guru, meteorologist, or whatever the appropriate title for this would be, but I surmised that the ongoing raging storm could be linked to the shortcomings of my phone signal. Incidentally, I was also in the middle of nowhere, 40 minutes away from the nearest settlement and three hours away from the closest city. The remoteness of my location would surely also have an impact on my... A light tapping on the window caught me off guard, and I jolted in my seat. Crap, I thought, as the sight of a bulky police officer greeted me on the other side of the glass. By the looks of it, he had been out in a storm for way too long. His cheeks were glowing pink, and he had snowflakes stuck in his burly mustache. I quickly stowed my th phone in my pocket and rolled down the window, preparing to explain why I was on my phone in traffic. But the officer didn't even care about any of that. Good evening, sir, the officer stated. There has been an incident further up on the road. Right now we're trying to... Could you turn that down? He gestured toward the radio. I'm sorry, officer, of course, I replied, dialing the scroll wheel of the volume button all the way down. As I was saying, we're trying to evacuate this um whole area. Once I've gotten to the final car at the end behind you there, and I've gotten him to start backing up, I want you to follow him immediately. You want me to drive in reverse? I questioned. A quizzical grimace stretched across my face. Road's too narrow. Right now, I don't see any other option. Unless you want to try turning around and risk ending up in one of these ditches here, the officer said with a slight smirk. But before I had the chance to say anything else, a thundering bang sounded a couple of yards in front of us. The winds carried the sound with an ear-splitting accuracy. The officer reacted immediately, hovering his hands above the pistol in his holster. He took a few steps back and tried signaling in on his shoulder-mounted radio. Another bang echoed through the harsh wind, followed by another. Then another. The sounds were unmistakable. They were gunshots. He drew his pistol and rushed toward the source of the sounds. I watched as he slowly faded from view. A void of white had swallowed him whole. I stared in shock for a couple minutes, expecting the officer to return at any moment, but he never came. A small mass of snow had started accumulating inside my car, so I quickly rolled up the window. I could hear another set of muffled gunshots joining the already dominant ones. It sounded like they were completely emptying their magazines into whoever or whatever, then, in perfect unity, the sound stopped. The silence weighed heavy as I sat in anticipation. My mind was flustered with thoughts and ideas, but the prevalent feeling that occupied my mind was a creeping sensation of dread. Just what the hell was going on? I anxiously tapped my fingers on the steering wheel. In a moment of weakness, I once again looked over to the liquor bottle on the floor. I hadn't gone this long without a drink in years.
One sip wouldn't hurt, right? Just to calm my nerves. If I was discreet enough, the officers would have no way of knowing. Just as I leaned over to the passenger side to pick my bottle up, my vehicle violently trembled. Something powerful had slammed into my car. I cursed loudly and rose back up, abandoning the bottle. I frantically searched around, looking for any signs of the perpetrator. I scanned my rear view, the side window, and even the passenger side window. Nothing but a flurry of white specks. Then I noticed in the blizzard in front of me, a black silhouette grew larger and larger, and soon I could make out what it was. A man. No, two men. And they were running, running towards my car. But these guys weren't police officers, nor any of the paramedics that had arrived earlier. They must have been the denizens of the car in front. And then two more people appeared behind them, either giving chase to or following the two men in front. As they inched closer, I could properly see the expressions carved into their faces. They were terrified. They looked as though they had seen a ghost. The first two men ran past my car. They didn't even look at me. Shortly after, the two people behind them followed, a woman and a boy. They hurried across the ice at great speeds, while at the same time exercising caution, so as to not slip and fall. Before I had the chance to react, they were gone, having once again been consumed by the endless white void. This was definitely a cause for concern. They who in their right mind would abandon the comforts of their vehicles all the way out here, in this weather. The driver in front of me cautiously opened one of the doors of the car. A middle-aged white man with a beer gut stepped out into the cold. He slung his puffer jacket around his shoulders and stared off into the distance ahead. I watched him curiously, wondering if he too would start running, and then wondering if I should join him if he indeed decided to. Right now it seemed illogical, but then again these guys clearly knew something I didn't. Maybe there was gas leak ahead. Maybe some radioactive material that had been improperly disposed of. My mind raced, looking for any logical explanations for my current predicament, but I found none. The man took a few steps forward, intently inspecting the blizzard ahead. It seemed as though something had caught his attention. He took another few steps forward, positioning himself in front of his car, partially obscuring my view of him, his left side still visible. But there was something else. In the deep recesses of the snowstorm, something was moving. I strained my eyes, leaning forward in my seat and staring through my snow-covered windshield. Approaching from the left side of the road onto the oncoming lane, a large silhouette bobbed up and down as it slowly advanced toward the man. Though it was far away, it looked to be near twice his height but he hadn't noticed. The man was far too busy examining whatever had caught his attention directly in front of him. An overwhelming sense of dread filled my veins. The way the silhouette moved, I couldn't explain why, but it felt predatory, like a lion stalking its prey through the thick underbrush of the African savanna, right before springing into action and securing itself a fresh meal. Was it a moose? It didn't look to be. The proportions were way off, and it almost looked to be bipedal, but I couldn't think of any other large animals out here that the silhouette could have belonged to. I doubted this area had ever seen any polar bears, and even so, they couldn't possibly reach this size, could they? 
It was like my primal instinct screamed at me to do something. I felt my fight or flight start to kick in, but I managed to keep it under wraps. I was safe inside my warm SUV. But the man, however, I had to warn him, somehow. If I honked my horn, whatever was stalking him might have leaped into action right away. It was too risky. Before I could think of anything, the man screamed in terror. Muffled through my car's thick exterior, his cries echoed. I focused ahead of me, trying to get a glimpse of what had riled him up so badly. He turned around in an attempt to flee. He had almost made it back to the driver's side of the door when he planted his face into the cold, hard ground. He must have slipped. The predatory silhouette to his left was nowhere to be seen now. For a brief moment, I locked eyes with the man. A familiar look of excruciating fear contoured across his face. He dug his long and unkept nails into the snow, slowly crawling forward. And then he screamed yet again, but this time not out of fear, but in pain. Violently, he was dragged back. I watched in horror as a man tried to fight it, clutching the powdery snow as if it would actually provide a stable grip. He was dragged in front of his car and out of my view. Just before he rounded the left side corner, I could see his blood-covered hands desperately cling to the tire, and then he was pulled away. I was in complete disbelief. It was like a scene from a horror movie, except this was real. This was actually happening. The man's wailing abruptly ceased, and besides the harsh winds of the blizzard, no sound was made. I pulled out my phone and tried my best to shake the trembling in my hands as I dialed 911. As I waited for a response, I made sure all the doors were locked while I glued my eyes to the spot where I'd last seen the man. A pair of long indentations scarred the snow where he had laid, and a crimson handprint stained the black rubber of the front tire. Come on, come on, pick up already, I harshly muttered to my phone, but I never made it past a dialing tone. Was it because I had no service? I've heard that many emergency lines still operate in spite of a poor phone signal, but right now I was inclined to believe the contrary. I eventually gave up and put my phone down. I shrunk down into my seat, making myself as small as I could. I couldn't possibly tell you how long I sat there, waiting like that. The concept of time felt irrelevant at that moment. In my reclined position, I still retained a decent line of sight to the outside world. There were no signs of movement, just an empty white canvas. I could hear no discernible sounds either. I watched what felt like in slow motion, as each individual unique flake of snow landed, and then proceeded to melt onto the glass. The windshield wipers fought the blizzard vigorously, brushing aside everything the malevolent storm had to offer. And then, suddenly, with a squelched thud, something heavy crashed down on the window, and the wipers were now smearing a viscous red liquid back and forth across my windshield. A nearly indescribable sense of paralyzing horror drilled into my soul as I realized what I was looking at. I immediately recognized the sorrowed eyes and contorted expression of pain that draped across the poor man's face. Glistening red blood had completely dyed his hair, and the man's skin was full of lacerations and tears. But the true horror of the scene lay not with the frightful sight that greeted me no more than twelve inches away, separated only by a cracked glass screen. No, 
the true horror presented itself after I finally mustered up the courage to ponder the question that I wasn't even sure if I wanted to. Where was the rest of him? Upon the revelation that I was gazing at a freshly decapitated human head, I was compelled to scream, uncontrollably and at the top of my lungs. And so I did. I couldn't help it. I felt nauseous and on the verge of vomiting. It took all of my strength to gather up any fragment of composure that I had in my body, and I quickly sat up in my seat, frantically scanning my surroundings. Still, I saw nothing except a heavy downpour of snow. I tried to calm down, as I knew that panicking would only worsen whatever situation was at hand. I steadied my breathing, and I sat still, slowly counting down from ten. However, the grotesque sight that greeted me whenever I looked through the windshield didn't exactly help. So I closed my eyes and continued focusing, counting, controlling my breathing. Inhale, exhale. Inhale, exhale. But even as I closed my eyes, I still saw his face. The gruesome image had burned itself deep into my mind, and I felt anxious at the thought that I may never sleep peacefully again. In my distracted haze, I failed to notice that something foreign had filled the air, something ominous. It was a deep sound, barely audible, a stark contrast to the roaring winds outside. It was a kind of sound that you feel rather than hear, if that makes sense. It was deep and bellowing, and I swear I could feel my chest faintly vibrate, like when you're at a concert or a nightclub with a really loud bass. Carefully, I rolled down my window a quarter of the way in order to better hear the curious noise. It was much clearer now, and the best way to describe it would be a sort of low-pitched rumble. Its tones fluctuated ever so slightly, as if in synchronization with short, rapid breaths. It would be a rather powerful display of vocal cords if the sound was of organic origin. I tried my best to pinpoint the direction from which the sound emanated, but I found the task to be near impossible. It may have been the wind distorting and dislocating the sound, but it sounded like it originated from every direction. I didn't know what to do. Obviously, I didn't want to exit the car and make a run for it like the previous motorist before me, but I felt that staying inside the car would only render me a sitting duck. I had no weapons to protect myself either, not even a pocket knife in the glove compartment. The only thing I had was an old Zippo lighter, which I doubted would do any damage in a fight. The deep rumbling subsided, and was instead replaced by a hooting sound, reminiscent of an owl, only much deeper, like if someone blew air into a hollow tree trunk. But this sound was easy to pinpoint, and I could discern that it was coming from behind the car in front of me, where I had last seen the man before his untimely demise. I fixed my gaze toward the source of the sound, expecting to see its owner peeking around the edges of the vehicle at any moment, when I suddenly heard another, identical set of deep hooting coming from my left side. I wondered how the animal or creature or whatever it was made those sounds had somehow managed to sneak past my line of sight and position itself to my left without me noticing. But my wondering was cut short when the original set of hoots in front once again started bellowing through the winter air as if in response to the other ones. And, to my utter dismay, I slowly began to realize that whatever was making those sounds, whatever had killed that man, was not alone out here.
and that's when I first saw it. As if on a cue, I noticed the dominant silhouette standing in the middle of the road, contrasting itself against the rushing snowfall. Slowly emerging from the harrowing blizzard, just a few yards away from the car ahead, the creature revealed itself. It was unlike anything I had ever seen before, an abominable middle finger to all of God's creations upon this earth. Its skull resembled that of a crocodile, resting well over ten feet above the ground. It also had a large crest, fixated right over its eyes, reminiscent of the horns of a bull. Its razor-sharp teeth were stained red, and blood dripped down from its maw and onto the snow-covered asphalt. The entire creature was covered in dense white fur, like that of a polar bear. No wonder I hadn't spotted it until now. It was perfectly camouflaged among the white powdery snow. The rest of the body was hard to make out due to the storm, but I could tell it was huge, easily towering over the vehicle when it approached. It moved closer, trotting towards me in a jagged fashion. Blood still dripped from its malformed mouth. It almost looked to be smiling. Almost. I looked around the cabin of the car, once more desperately scouring for anything I could use to defend myself. Except for the bottle of liquor I had laying about, I was at a loss. At least I could ease the pain of being torn from limb from limb by having a little alcohol in my system, I thought to myself. Seeing the creature uncomfortably close now, I made an attempt to just drive away. It was true what the officer had said previously about the road being too narrow, but in the face of certain death, I figured it was worth a shot. Though I was, I was boxed in by both a car in my front and the one to my rear, I would have to succeed at a difficult maneuver in order to make my escape. A maneuver I wasn't sure I could make in these perilous conditions, but I had to try. I applied my foot onto the gas pedal, and the tires spun around in the snow, slinging bits of debris everywhere. Still stationary, I pressed down even harder hoping to God that I would break free from my frozen constraints. In my panic, I gazed ahead and locked eyes with the creature. I could feel its wicked stare burrow deep into my soul. The wheels kept spinning, but I wasn't making any progress. I had waited too long. It was as I feared earlier. I was trapped. There was nowhere to go. An ear-splitting hoot sounded just a few yards away, and I saw the creature had stopped in its tracks. It raised its head and let out another hoot. What the hell do you want? I sobbed, punching the steering wheel in frustration. The wretched thing cocked its head and let out yet another vocalization. It was as if it wanted to grab my attention or to distract me. Before I knew it, I felt a searing pain aching throughout my body and my world was turned upside down as a powerful force slammed into the left side of the car, sending it flying. The SUV toppled over, accompanied by the sounds of crushing metal. Thankfully, I was wearing my seatbelt, or else I would have probably broken my neck while tumbling around inside the car like dirty laundry in a washing machine. When the car eventually came to a stop, I found myself suspended upside down in the driver's seat. The vehicle had rolled down into the nearby ditch on the side of the road. Below me, on the inside of the car's roof, were fragments of shattered glass and heaps of snow. I hadn't quite processed what had happened, so I sat there for a moment, taking it all in. Suddenly, everything felt so calm and quiet. I questioned if I had even survived the ordeal. 
A warm liquid flowed down from my chin into my mouth and then down to the rest of my face. The stinging copper taste made me snap out of my trance and I began to assess the situation. Outside, I heard heavy thuds rapidly approaching the vehicle. Each mighty stomp struck down into the snow with rhythm, and I could imagine the creature's mouth practically foaming at the prospect of a fresh new meal. The footsteps came to a sudden halt right outside the driver's side window, and I turned my head to get a better look. A set of two large and powerful hind legs stood mere inches away from my face. They were covered in what looked to be reptilian-like scales, lined with white, dense fur, and the creature had three long talons that protruded from each foot. The deafening scraping of metal filled the air as I imagined the creature began clawing away at the undercarriage of the SUV. From the fast-paced shifting of the monster's feet, I began to understand the sheer ferocity with which it attacked. It was going ballistic, shredding the exterior at an incredibly fast rate. A combination of hoots and growls escaped its bloodthirsty jaws as it chipped away at the metal. It wouldn't be long until it was through. Another pair of heavy footsteps stopped just a short distance away on the opposite side of the car, right outside the passenger's side window. Like its predecessor, it too began clawing and kicking at the body of the car. The two creatures were relentless. I'd never seen anything like it. Not even wild hyenas were this ravenous. I braced for impact as I unbuckled my seatbelt, positioning myself in such a manner so that I wouldn't break my neck upon impact. I hit the ground hard and was greeted by the sensation of cold snow and broken glass. The car rocked back and forth as the creatures violently attacked. It was obvious I couldn't stay in here for long, but escaping the crushed remains of my vehicle and running out on foot didn't seem favorable either. I felt a deep desperation begin to set in as I realized I would most likely not live to see another day. This was it. Just as all hope had faded and I began to accept my fate, my arm brushed up against a cold and oblong object. I shifted my body around to see what it was, and the light bulb ignited inside my head as I gazed upon the still intact bottle of liquor that laid on the floor. My hands trembled as I reached deep into my pocket and extracted my old Zippo lighter. However, I examined the Jack Daniels and gauged that the contents inside would not be enough for the powerful reaction I was hoping for, so I opened the glove compartment and began searching. Oh, there it is, I cheered, as my fingers grazed upon the bottle of scented hand sanitizer, an old relic from the pandemic. It was nearly full as well. I opened the two bottles and began pouring the disinfectant alcohol down into the half-empty liquor bottle. The sanitizer mixed in with the strong bourbon would surely be enough for an improvised Molotov cocktail. I ripped off a piece of cloth from my shirt and stuffed it down the bottleneck. With the Molotov in hand, I crawled toward the cracked windshield. I spun around and pressed my feet against the shattered glass frame. In an adrenaline-infused state, I pressed my legs down and applied pressure to the windshield. I strained my body and pushed my legs harder than I'd ever done before in my life, wishing I'd spent more time at the gym prior to this. Due to its severely damaged condition, it didn't take long before the windshield came off, and the harsh winds of the outside world filled the cabin of the upside-down car. Above me, the creatures growled and bellowed, ripping and tearing away at the framework. 
I could see narrow slivers of light begin to penetrate the underside of the car, meaning they were nearly through. I crawled through the new opening and out into the unforgiving blizzard. I feared that as soon as I stepped outside, one of the creatures would promptly place its, my heads in its jaws and I would be done for, but that never came. It seemed as though they were too preoccupied with getting through the hard exterior of the SUV, and they had failed to notice I had made my crafty escape. I kept crawling along the snow, praying to God that the beast wouldn't turn their hideous heads and discover their easy meal slithering away right beside it. I didn't dare look back either. I couldn't bring myself to face the abominable animals. Once I had achieved a satisfactory distance away from my car, I finally turned around and rose to my feet. I ignited my lighter and set the Molotov cocktail ablaze. Don't try this at home, by the way. With all my remaining strength, I hurled the flaming bottle at the heap of scrap metal that used to be my car and watched in glory as the fire began to rise. I even think I hit one of the creatures as I heard a dazzled yelp cry out. The flames weren't nearly big enough to cause a massive explosion or anything, but it was just enough to distract the creatures so I was able to make a run for it. I ran back onto the road and continued past all of the vacant cars that stood further up. The ice was painted red, and a couple of human corpses, or at least what remained of them, were strung about the various abandoned vehicles. Eventually, I came upon the ambulance and a police car that arrived about an hour prior. There were no signs of the officer that had talked to me, but deep down, I knew what kind of fate had befallen him. In the distance, I heard an ominous rumbling sound coming from one of the creatures, followed by agitated hooting. Had they finally noticed I was gone? In that case, I didn't have a lot of time. I got inside the ambulance and planted myself down in the driver's seat. A frozen and severed human hand was attached to the steering wheel. I gagged as I ripped it off and tossed it out the open window. The creature's shrill cries echoed through the snowstorm, and it sounded like they were coming closer. Desperately, I turned the ambulance's ignition, and to my delight, it started up without a hitch. I kicked my foot down on the gas pedal, and I floored it out of there. Luckily for me, ambulances in this part of the United States come well-equipped to handle hazardous terrain and snow-covered roads. As I drove, intently watching the rearview mirror, hoping I would catch one last glimpse of the monsters, but the only thing I saw were whirling snowflakes, dancing effortlessly along the icy winds that carried them. About 30 minutes of driving later, I arrived in a small town. The blizzard had begun to let up, and the sun was starting to set on the horizon. I parked outside the first roadside hotel I found, and must have looked like a zombie as I frantically begged the receptionist to alert the authorities. She looked extremely nervous, but did as I told her. After a while of talking, the kind receptionist informed me that the police would stop by first thing tomorrow morning. Apparently, the nearest police station was an hour's drive away, and the raging storm had caused major problems across infrastructure all over the state. Seeing how nobody was in immediate danger, they would wait until the roads were cleared and travel was safe again. I wasn't happy with this response, but I was too tired to really care. I checked into one of the hotel rooms and began typing all of this out on my phone. There are still so many questions left unanswered, but I imagine tomorrow will bring more news about the situation. I just hope that the other motorists along that highway made it out okay, but I have my doubts. The blizzard has now subsided, and outside my second story window, 
I am treated to a view of the clear night sky in the endless expanse of the tundra. I'll admit, this landscape is beautiful, though it's a shame I will now forever associate the tranquility of snowfall with the abhorrent horror of events prior. However, that is not all. Since it was getting hot in my room, I decided to crack my window, slightly ajar. For the past hour, I have been listening to the breeze, floating across the frozen countryside. There are no sounds of wild animals out here, oddly enough, but there is something else. Occasionally, in the distance, the silence is broken by the ever-so-familiar and foreboding sound of a faint hoot crying out in the night. And that was the story. I wonder if the writer does any more of this, if we'll go more into how the main character seems to be an alcoholic. <laughs> was I the only one that felt like that? Like, why do you have one on your car floor, dude? Like... <laughs> It's a little bit weird, but, you know, might be some unintentional characterization, but characterization it is. And again, just don't drive in lake effect snow because you will die, probably not from beasts, but because it's very slippery and like five people died in Buffalo, so don't do it. All right, and on to our third story. Like I said, this third story is a little bit goofier, but it's still definitely unsettling. In fact, in a way, this one is kind of the creepiest of them all. It was posted four days ago on r slash no sleep by user Evil Zucchinis. It has 2k upvotes, so respectable, but it still seems a little bit low given such a gripping concept. So without further ado, let's dive into My Patient Thinks He's Garfield, and I'm Thinking of Quitting My Job. Yep. <laughs> Okay, now, before you think this is a joke, please hear me out. I'm a newly graduated medical student in a fairly small town. I was in the middle of residency training to gain some experience and easier connections in the field, just like every other person who wanted a chance in this brutal job market. I had been psychiatry shadowing for around two years and never had I encountered a case so unforgettable that it left me questioning if I should have just become a lab technician or some other job that's not client-facing. I have always respected patient confidentiality, believe me, but just this once, I have to make an exception, and you'll soon see why. All the names have been changed to protect the identities of the individuals involved. Around three months ago, the psychiatrist I was working with, Dr. Kim, gave me the opportunity to try taking on a patient of my own. We worked in a small private clinic with six other doctors in a shared building. So far, she had always been in the room with me during appointments, so of course, I wanted to prove that I was ready for the challenge. She told me it was someone who got referred from their family doctor to see a specialist, like the majority of new patients. I gave the prognosis papers a quick glance. Nathan Somers, 27, male, delusions about identity, diagnostic impression, schizophrenia. It wasn't my first time dealing with schizophrenia before. For those who don't know, these are false beliefs that are not based in reality. For example, you think that you're being harmed or harassed. You interpret patterns in everyday objects as messages, or I guess in this case, who you even are. It was a relatively quiet day when the clinic doors swung open. Footsteps could be heard approaching the receptionist table. I spent a couple minutes gathering all the necessary paperwork and poked my head out of the office. The doctor will be right with you, 
Please come this way. Some muffled chatter approached behind the door. That was my cue. Nathan, I called in out into the hall. Expecting a man, a short woman with dried out brunette hair and dark circles walked in. Her brows were furrowed and her eyes filled with desperation, like she was on the verge of tears. I'm Raina, his wife, she said wryly. Her lips wrinkled the smallest attempt of a smile as she reached out her hand. Pleasure to meet you, Raina. I'm Dr. Redacted, I said while I shook her hand. Trailing in behind her, who was who I assumed was her husband, he was wearing a six-foot-tall mascot suit of sorts that was the spitting image of Garfield. Look, initially, I laughed too. Not out loud, but in my head when I saw the goofy costume. I thought this had to be a joke. Maybe Dr. Kim was setting me up to see if I could detect bullshit and this was a true test of my knowledge. Either way, I was intrigued. The man's orange and white fur was matted and filthy, covered in food stains and the smell. Let's just say I felt slight regret at that moment of accepting the case. Nonetheless, I wasn't going to turn away anyone who came for help, and it certainly wasn't my place to judge someone. I knew firsthand that mental illness can really put you in a bind for hygiene and personal care. That was part of the reason why I studied psychiatry in the first place. I wanted to help others who were in a similar position as myself. I smiled at the two, gesturing for them to take a seat. And you must be Nathan? I asked the man in the suit as his wife lowered him onto the chair with her guidance. Why do people keep... The woman quietly muttered. He's not talking right now, she answered, her lower lip quivering. Oh? He refused to talk ever since he started doing this. I see, I nodded. I guess that's why she had to come in with him. It would be a little challenging without communicating with the patient directly, but I guess it couldn't be helped. That's not a problem, I said, trying to reassure the wife. Raina, why don't you tell me what the problem is and how it all started? Her hands were clasped tightly together as she has exhaled deeply. Around one month ago, my husband came home and... started saying he had a new identity. Garfield? I asked. Yes. The bulbs of tears around Raina's eyes grew bigger. He stopped responding to his first name. I thought it was a prank at first, that he and his friends were pulling on me. But it's not right. No, he's been doing this for weeks. You've been wearing this suit for weeks, Nathan? I looked at him concernedly. Raina shook her head. That's not... Right, I remembered. You're not talking. Wasn't Garfield able to talk? I thought he did in some of those 3D movies years ago, but maybe that was a fever dream. He won't eat or shower, she sobbed. I begged him. He said he can't do it anymore. I just want my husband back. He hasn't showered. That would explain the putrid, rotting smell radiating from him. When was the last time he ate? I asked. Probably three weeks ago, right before his delusion started. Right, I said. And, she continued, I even tried giving him lasagna. Sorry. Okay. Lasagna. <laughs> I asked. Garfield's favorite, she clarified, catching her falling tears with the sides of her sleeves. I gave her a tissue as I flipped to a new page in my binder. 
The thought of him living in his own filth inside that damp suit was sickening. I genuinely considered the possibility that maybe this was all just an elaborate trick, and this woman was an Academy Award-winning actor. What would drive someone to do something like this? Has he ever had any history of mental illness or similar behaviors? I asked. I had his case file from his family doctor open on my desk already, but maybe she knew something else since they were in a relationship. N not that I know of. I mean, we've been together for five years. He has days where he's sad, but like, nothing serious like depression, she sniffled. I'm the one who overthinks, honestly. She released a tiny chuckle. I see. I looked over at Nathan, who sat as still as a statue next to her. I was hoping her distress would cause him to open up, but to no avail. She was right. Looking at his case file, this guy was as healthy as a horse. Optimal blood sugar levels, good heart and liver, no family history of schizophrenia either, if that's even what we were dealing with here. I think this is partly my fault, though, she said, rubbing her temples with her palm. Her tears started to well up again. Why do you say that? I, I praise him a lot, and he doesn't like that. He doesn't like being praised. Can you please elaborate? I asked. I know it's weird, but he's humble and doesn't like it when people praise him. He says it's not who he is and that I'm lying to him. I see, my interest peaked. Can you give an example? Well, sometimes if I tell him that I'm proud of him, or like, you look good today. He gets angry and denies it. That's very interesting. I jotted down some notes in my binder. I don't know. I think he thinks he's not living up to people's expectations of him. Like he's trying to prove he's not who I think he is. But I know that's just because he puts such high expectations for himself. And I don't need that. I just need him to be himself, you know? Maybe he's trying to break free from constantly living up to others' expectations. His wife clearly supports him, but maybe it's from family or work? Definitely some external factors at play here. Was he truly delusional, or was this just an act for attention? I definitely don't think this is your fault in any way, I said. Thanks, she said quietly, seeming to not believe my words. In rare cases, a sudden onset of schizophrenia could happen without trauma. Besides, we need him to tell us himself and shouldn't jump to conclusions. Is there something in his life that changed one month ago that might have triggered him? I asked. Like a job change, death in the family, stuff like that. Raina shook her head. No, not that I can think of. This was running into a dead end. Without Nathan being willing to talk, there was no way to get to the bottom of this. I turned to Nathan slowly. Can you please talk to us? The man's head turned, but there was no nod. Only a slight grunt came out. The meshed eye holes were black and unending, perfectly concealing what was behind it. The lazy but smug facial expression of Garfield permanently plastered on his face as he turned his head. Part of me was afraid that there wasn't even a person in there. I said again, your wife is very worried about you, and we just want to know what's going on. Did something happen to you a month ago? Nathan slowly nodded. I felt both excited and terrified. I continued, can you let us know what happened? I want to help you. The costume man slowly raised an arm towards his head, drawing small circles. Raina tensed up in her seat as did I, 
trying to interpret his actions. I'm... I'm not sure what you mean, I said. Is that a circle? He shook his head, instead patting the top of the mascot head with his hand. Your head? I asked. He nodded. My heart skipped a beat. Is there something wrong with your head? He nodded again, faster and harder. I turned back to Reyna. Do you know what's wrong with his head? He went on a fishing trip with his friends about a month ago, she shifted in her seat. He slipped and hit the back of his head on some rocks, but it wasn't a serious injury. Wait, how serious was it? I asked, leaning forward in my chair. I thought it was strange that she didn't bring this up earlier, as it seemed pretty significant given the timing. Like just a bump on his scalp, it didn't bleed or anything. He was back up in minutes, according to his friends. Maybe the injury was more serious than you thought, I suggested. She paused, seeming to realize her mistake. Oh, God, you're right. That, that didn't even occur to me. There was only one thing I could do. I turned once again to the suited man, the lifeless black mesh staring deep into my soul, concealing any facial expressions he had. Was he content? Angry? What was he feeling right now? No one could tell. Can you please remove your mascot head? I asked, trying my best to sound calm despite how anxious I was becoming myself. I want to examine your head injury from the fishing trip. Is that all right? He shook his head. I took a deep breath and adjusted my tone. I felt like I was talking to a child. We just want to take a quick look. It will only take two minutes. You can put the head back on as soon as I'm done. He shook his head again. His wife looked to him worriedly and then back at me. Oh, how badly I wanted to yank that Garfield head off of him and tell him to snap the fuck out of it. The musty stench of the suit was now dominating the room, irritating my nose, even through my mask. But a part of me also terif was terrified of what was under his head. A man who hadn't properly showered or eaten in weeks. I couldn't imagine what horrible state he would be in. What if Nathan wasn't even the one inside there? Had Reyna even seen him without the costume on? Legally, I couldn't remove his mascot head without his consent. It was part of his clothing, but maybe... Reyna, I said. Can you please take the mascot head off your husband? I asked, but it was more of a demand at this point. I... Reyna shot me a panicked look. Her hands flew to her chest in defense. I don't know if that's a good idea, she said. Wouldn't that hurt him? I took a deep breath. I had a feeling she would be hesitant. I know, but we can't help him this way. I'd rather someone he knows and trusts like you do it, or else we'll have to take him to the hospital. And the hospital may likely use force. Reyna dipped her head down, her fingers fumbling around in her lap. She let out a deep breath before raising her head to meet mine. Okay, she said, her voice trembling with fear. I'll do it. The woman stood up from her chair and placed her hands on the obscenely large mascot head. I'm sorry, baby. I'm doing this because I love you. Her arms began to pull upwards, the hole for the head beginning to lift, revealing Nathan's neck. A loud crash. The next few seconds happened so fast, I barely had time to process what was happening. Ugh! Raina let out a blood-curdling scream. Nathan tackled her to the ground. Both of them hit the floor. Hard. 
He pinned her in place with his fur-covered hands wrapped around her throat, growling, enraged. No, no, stop, I'm sorry, Raina screamed as she heaved angrily through the suit. Dark red liquid oozed from his eye and mouth holes as he squeezed the life out of her. Raina's face jerked from side to side, avoiding the blood that spewed from the costumed man. I screamed at the top of my lungs, Help! Please, someone help! I swung the door open and yelled into the hall. Raina coughed violently for air, her eyes bulged and watered, hands clawing at Nathan's grip. My legs were shaking. I pulled at Nathan with all my strength, but he wouldn't budge. Not even five seconds later, four people came barging through the office. Two of the doctors pulled at Nathan, yelling, Get off her! He stumbled backwards, blood spitting out of the head, grunting and snarling like a caged animal. You hold his legs, a third man shouted. One of the patients in the waiting room pinned him down onto the floor, along with two of the doctors. I quickly rushed to Raina, who was convulsing in cold sweat. Her face flushed a deep red. We carried her over to an adjacent room to check her vitals. Her pulse was weak, but thankfully it was there. In the other room, Nathan was held face down with someone holding each of his limbs in place. All the remaining patients in the waiting room quickly fled from the building as sirens blared in the distance. What happened? Dr. Kim exclaimed as she walked into the room, looking at Raina, who was trembling on the exam table. Good question. What happened? I looked calm on the outside, but my heart was beating out of my chest. I was holding back my morning breakfast from regurgitating. He... he started choking her, was all I was able to get out as I shakily wrapped the blood of pressure cuff around the poor woman laying in front of me. I don't think my first patient visit could have gone any worse than this. Are you alright? she asked. Dr. Kim didn't seem angry with me, just concerned. All things considered, yes. That's good. The police are almost here, so don't worry, she said. Dr. Kim jumped in to help me with the checkup. We carefully examined Raina's neck and breathing. Although it would probably bruise in a few days, there was no damage to her windpipe to our relief. Raina curled up into a fetal position on the table, with her hands covering her face. No, 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 no. She cried over and over again as she rocked back and forth. I stroked her back with my hand, trying to comfort her. Can I bring you some water? I asked. Was I allowed to do this? At this point, I was kind of taken out of the doctor and patient situation, and I was just trying to be friendly. Uh, no, no, fi I'm fine, thanks, she answered. Her face barely peeked from behind her hands. Okay, well, if you need anything, just let us know. I placed a bottle of water beside her on the table, and funnily enough, she gulped down the entire bottle. In the adjacent room, four people kept an eye on Nathan until the police arrived. All the while, he struggled against the people that were pinning him in place on the ground. You could still hear him grunting and growling with rage, even through two closed doors. When the front doors finally swung open, everyone breathed a sigh of relief. The police quickly detained Nathan. Seeing Garfield in handcuffs shoved into the back of a squad car was surreal. If I saw a photo of this online, I would laugh. But this was the terrifying reality I had just witnessed. The police gave us their card and said that it would take some time to get back to us. They initially wanted to detain Reyna, too, just for questioning. But seeing the condition she was in, 
they decided it was probably best to do it another day. As the police car diminished down the road, I felt like I could finally calm down. Nathan was out of the building. Dr. Kim apologized profusely for giving me this patient, but I felt like I should have apologized for asking the wife to remove the mascot head. We both felt like we were responsible. I took a mandatory week off. I say mandatory because I didn't choose it. The property manager had to sanitize the blood spills on the floor, and Dr. Kim said it would be beneficial for everyone to take a well-needed break to just collect ourselves. The free week flew by and work resumed like normal, but it was in the back of everyone's minds. Needless to say, we were all very shaken up by the incident. This never made national headlines, but everyone in the clinic watched the local news like a hawk. I didn't care what his crime was. I just needed to know if they managed to get him out of the goddamn Garfield suit and what he looked like under there. Everyone else had the same sentiment. We waited a week, then two, then three. A month went by with no updates from the police. Three months passed by until we finally got word of the verdict. Investigators revealed that Nathan did indeed go on a fishing trip that day a month ago, but it wasn't with his friends. In fact, his friends thought he was out of the country because they hadn't heard from him in over a month. He was alone near the lake fishing when an unseen perpetrator caused blunt force trauma to his head. As for removing the Garfield suit, it was a strenuous ordeal. 82 stitches had to be carefully cut to remove the fursuit that was sewn directly into his skin with fishing wire. His wounds were infected with gangrene and festering with pus, including his eyes and lips that prevented him from talking. And yes, it was Nathan Somers inside that suit with his skin slowly rotting away. When they searched their house, it clearly belonged to a fanatic. It was filled brim to brim with Garfield paraphernalia. Plushies, dishware, toiletries, you name it. Inside one of the drawers was a marriage certificate that read Garfield and Raina Tamwood. That was obviously edited. They found a closet with several mascot costumes that were identical to the one Nathan wore, and the same kind of fishing wire used to attach him to the suit. That wasn't a huge surprise considering what we had witnessed, except Raina was the one shown in handcuffs. Her mugshot photo with her crispy brown hair and her solemn expression flashed across the TV screen. Thinking back on their visit that day three months ago, it occurred to me that not once had she referred to her husband as Nathan. I don't think I'm going to work as a psychiatrist anymore. Yeah, this is a bit of a weird one. <laughs> oh my god, this is probably the first no-sleep story in a while that's made me just laugh out loud. <laughs> I had to pause a couple times because I kept going back to that and just giggling, and you guys don't need to hear that. <laughs> Lasagna. <laughs> anyway, as a Garfield admirer myself, I appreciated this one. I hope you guys found it as funny as I did, and maybe it disturbed you a little bit. I don't know, it's a little bit disturbing, the imagery, some nice body horror type stuff there. You know, I like it. It was a good one. Good job, evil zucchinis. And that is all for this week's episode. Thank you guys so much for watching, listening, however you consume this podcast. I truly do appreciate it. If you guys are not already subscribed and you're on YouTube, I would really appreciate a subscribe. And if you're listening on a podcast, please leave a nice review on whatever platform you may be listening to. If you liked it, that is. I'm not your mother. I will not make you. And thank you guys again for sticking with me while I figure out all these different video and audio settings. 
I did not go to film school, so this is all still fairly new to me, but we're figuring it out as we go. <laughs> and that's the magic of it, isn't it? I hope you guys enjoyed this episode and have a wonderful week. I will see you next Wednesday. Bye-bye. <laughs>